In the name of God, the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Um, today is the 4th of July. It is actually a, a, a feast in the, in the calendar in the Episcopal Church, uh, although the Sunday takes precedence over, so it's always a little bit of a, uh, a, a tension there. Uh, but I, I do want to talk about the relationship between church and state this morning. In the gospel that we have, today. Jesus goes to his hometown, and the people in his hometown are not able to recognize the unique blessing that God has given them, and which is in their midst, because they're, because they're of over-familiarity. And so I want to talk a little bit about the unique blessing that we have in our country, the unique blessing that we have in our religion and the unique bl blessing that we have in the relationship that our Constitution outlines between those two things, really unique in the world, I think, uh, um, uh, although emulated by many, many um, people, and that we not take either our, either, we take not I, either, not take faith nor uh, the country uh, for granted. Both are imperfect, both always are in need, in need of reformation and improvement, but let us not um, fail to recognize and count our blessings. There's a famous story, uh, and I think I've told it before, but it's a wonderful story about the 100th Archbishop of Canterbury, Michael Ramsey, wonderful New Testament scholar. Um, he was um, uh, um, he was, at the time, he, he was a New, New Testament scholar. He became, he became the 100th Archbishop of Canterbury. If there's a saint in the Anglican world in the 20th century, it was Michael Ramsey. And he came to, um, he came to notice of the world uh, by virtue of the first widely seen television broadcast in the history of the world, which was the coronation of Elizabeth II. Uh, it was saw, seen by millions of people all over the world, thanks to Prince Philip. May he rest in peace. And um, uh, by the, the Archbishop of Canterbury crowns the Queen. Um, somebody's got their mic on. If they could turn it off, I think it would, it would help us. Um, the Archbishop of Canterbury crowns the Queen. It's, it's, it's worth noticing that she kneels down, right? It's worth noticing that when a president is sworn in, they... They swear to God, right? Um, so uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury is in charge, but there are various bishops that flank uh, the sovereign who is being consecrated to be the head of state. And by tradition, the Bishop of Durham was one of those. At that time, Arch, uh, Michael Ramsey was the Bishop of Durham, later become Archbishop of Canterbury. Durham always has a scholar bishop. And uh, he was very photogenic. He was not classically handsome, but he was very photogenic. And he had very bushy eyebrows. Uh, and the camera liked the bushy eyebrows. And uh, so he can be seen, and, and he was a little bit of an eccentric figure, and he can be seen, and he's moving across um, the cathedral to take his uh, place by the young queen, and he's, he's bowing in different places, and he's muttering to himself. And the BBC broadcaster says after the survey, they go to interview him. Millions of people want to know what was he saying. Right? So they would go to 
they say, well, uh, Bishop, what were you saying? I was just trying, he says, I was just trying to keep it all straight. Uh, altar first and then the sovereign. Altar first and then the state. So this is the first thing to say, right? About the relationship between church and state. Uh, when I was a little boy, we were taught, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, one country under God. The first commandment is this, I am the Lord thy God, have no other gods before me. So this is the first thing to say about the relationship between church and state, which is the state is not the ultimate authority. And we do not receive our human dignity and we do not receive our human rights from the state. Um, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Our rights don't come from the state, they come from God. And the state is under the judgment of God. And the laws, uh, the laws of the state have to refer to the tr transcendent divine law. Um, C.S. Lewis says that the great religions of the world diverge. It's, it's not all paths lead to Rome. They, 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 they diverge. They, the road forks and forks again, he says. However, where they come together is in the moral law. You know, whether it's Taoism or whether it's the Ten Commandments, there's a tremendous consensus there. And the laws of men, the laws of human beings must be grounded in those transcendent laws and they're to be judged by them. And the, the justice of the state must be judged and critiqued by the justice of God. And the righteousness of the state must be critiqued by the righteousness of God. Um, and this protects, this, some people think this is a, that, this, that, that religion is a threat to freedom, but religion is not a threat to freedom. Religion is a, is a guarantor of freedom. I'll talk more about that. But um, uh, when the state takes the place of God, it becomes a savage God. It becomes an idol. Anything that is put in the place where only God should be becomes an idol. And the idols are always bloodthirsty. They always become savage. And so, some examples. During the French Revolution, the French philosophes who were uh, dominant in the, French, in the French Revolution believed that religion was the great um, chain that was holding humanity back and it needed to be driven from the public square. There's a Roman Catholic theologian, John Richard Newhouse, he's, he's uh, uh, dead now, he's a great man, and he wrote a book called The Naked Public Square. So the French philosophers, that's what they wanted. They wanted a square that was denuded of religion in any way. Well, certainly of the Christian religion and of the, of the, the book of the Jews and the Christians, and they wanted all of that driven out of the public sphere. And they, they knew that um, people can't live without some kind of ceremony and ritual. I, I always think it's a little bit poignant at the Super Bowl at halftime because people are reaching for the experience that we have every Sunday here in the cathedral and they, they can't quite get there. But, they, but that's just the human heart, it, it craves this. And the, the philosophers of the French Revolution, they were smart people, they knew that they had to, if they couldn't just take that away, they had to put something in place. So they developed, they developed a cult of divine reason. They even had a statue of, of divine reason. And a, a, a cult and a liturgy um, that went with that. And it was a kind of a divinization of the state. And, and the blood literally flowed in the streets. The German people did that when they made German blood and soil. 
Ultimate. Their God. Millions died. Under Stalin, millions died. Under Mao, millions died. Under Pol Pot, millions died. There is a threat to freedom that comes from getting the cross and the flag confused. The cross and the flag are not the same thing. And there's a danger to, to freedom that comes from, from, from that confusion. But there's also a danger from driving, there's also a danger to be had if you drive religion from the public sphere and have a truly naked public square. And um, our country is not a Christian country. You hear that sometimes, this is a Christian country. It's not a Christian country. It was not founded to be a, a, a Christian uh, country. Uh, the Jewish um, synagogue, is there any other kind? So the, the synagogue of the Jews in um, Truro, Rhode Island, wrote to um, George Washington, worried about this. What will be the place of the Jews in this new country? This is what he wrote back. The citizens of the United States of America, this is George Washington, the citizens of the United States of America have a right to applaud themselves for giving to mankind examples of an enlarged and liberal policy, a policy worthy of all imitation. All possess alike liberty of conscience and immunities of citizenship. It is now no more that toleration is spoken of as if it was by the indulgence of one class of people that another class enjoyed the exercise of their inherent natural rights, which are God-given. For happily, the government of the United States, which gives to bigotry no sanction, which gives to bigotry no sanction, to persecution no assistance, requires only that they who live under its protection should demean themselves as good citizens. So our Declaration of Independence, our Constitution, they don't, they don't, the, the Constitution forbids the establishment of religion. So before the revolution, the Episcopal Church was established in Maryland. The Congregational Church was established in Massachusetts. That's been ruled out. There's no establishment of religion. What's often forgotten in our day is the second part of that clause, nor the free expression of religion, nor the free expression of religion. And it's forbidden in our Constitution that there should be a religious test for public service. Um, and, and this freedom of conscience, which is enshrined in our founding documents, has its roots in the Bible. The God of the Bible and, and uh, um, God is in the background of all of our founding documents. It's, they've, 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 they have made it something we wouldn't want to do in the church. They've made it kind of a, the, the, a, a kind of a consensus God. But yet that there is a, a, a yet there is one greater than the state that must be acknowledged. That's really in our founding documents. And this freedom of conscience that is enshrined in our founding documents is grounded in the Bible. The God of the Bible requires not submission, um, not being cowed by his almighty power. But the God of the Bible wants 
love freely returned for love given. While we were yet sinners, he gave himself up for us. Love is freely given. The challenge is shall we respond to this gift that is freely given to us. In order for there to be genuine Christian faith, there must be a zone of personal freedom. There must be freedom of conscience. John Paul II, the uh, Pope of the Roman Catholic Church some time ago, spent most of his ministry before he was made Pope, either under the Nazis or under uh, communism. And what he would do is he would take young people into the mountains, um, hiking, kayaking, in the Polish mountains. And he did that so that they would be able to experience a zone of personal freedom that was not available under the watchful eye of the state. And there, and there the, heart, the heart and the mind could freely give itself in response to the free love given. So um, liberty of conscience is, 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 is rooted in, uh, in, uh, in our scriptures. And, it, and, our, and our founding documents in this country are inspired by this understanding that, that, that people have inalienable rights and that their consciences must be free and that there must be a zone of personal freedom. Now, also in our Constitution is a sober, biblical view of human nature. Lord Acton says power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And our Constitution is constituted so that no one gets absolute power. There are checks and balances. Uh, experts are great. We need experts. But you know what? They're fallen human beings, and they're subject to sin. We've had some wonderful presidents. You know what, they, each and every one of them was a human being, and you know what, they're subject to sin. And so our Constitution is sober about human nature. It is, um, uh, it, 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 it does not exalt itself as the ultimate. It does not exalt itself as the supreme authority. It protects us own personal freedom, and it protects us from each other. Let us not miss this blessing by over-familiarity. And let us not uh, miss the blessing that we have in our faith and the freedom that we have to practice it in this country according to our conscience, in this personal freedom that God wants us to have and that our way of government makes it possible for us to have. Uh, are we perfect? No, we're not perfect. Do we need reformation? Yes, we need reformation constantly and, and, and forever. But are we blessed? Are we blessed? Indeed, we are. And uh, we, we praise God for the godly heritage that we have in the church. And we praise God for the godly heritage that we have here in our country. In the name of God the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.